The Square Peg Podcast. Mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. Not all of us look the way the world expects us to look, think as the world expects us to think, or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to. On the Square Peg Podcast, we give a voice to mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and here are their stories. Thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started as always. The hashtag needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding El Pasos. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sines are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on the weekends. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. And now, here's a message from one of the sponsors who make this program possible. Heath Johnson, owner of Camino Tattoo Studio, has been a professional licensed tattoo artist in Las Cruces since 2000. He does everything from American traditional to photorealistic tattooing, and he works by appointment only. Email him today to get your custom tattoo. You can find him at CaminoTattooStudio.com or from the bio in the link at www.CaminoTattooStudio.com. Of course, you can also find Camino Tattoo Studio on Instagram and Facebook. And just a little personal note for me, um, turning 48 here real soon, didn't get my first tattoo until about two years ago. And um, while Keith didn't do that one, he's done three since then. And uh, I've been going through this kind of transition, you know, in my later 40s, if you will, and uh, made some changes to my fitness, to my, my supplementation and my diet. And I've seen some big changes in my body. And I'll tell you, I've never loved my body. I probably never will. But with the changes I've made and the artwork that Keith has uh, been able to put on my body, learning to hate it a little bit less every day. So if you want to be uh, like me and get some good artwork on you, give give Keith. So a, my guest today uh, is a native uh, and, and of the South Side of Chicago. He got his start uh, calling basketball games when he was in college in the Midwest. And uh, he now is the host, uh, the host of a morning sports talk show called Snowman in the Morning, which is currently airing on his own YouTube channel. Uh, and we're here to talk about his life and some of the challenges he's overcome and the ones he's fighting right now. Brian Snow, host of Snowman in the Morning. Welcome to the Square Peg Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So um, you are, you've already recorded for the day and you're on your way to picking up your wife, right? Yep. All righty. Um, so... You got started. Now, you, I was correct. You're from, we talked about this. You're from the south side of Chicago. So you're a White Sox fan, not a Cubs fan, right? Born and raised. Born and raised. So growing up, and you're about my age, I think. So you did a lot of growing up in the second half in the 70s and the 80s. Who were the big sports uh, influences uh, in your life during that time? Well, through the 70s and the 80s, um, like I said, grew up a White Sox fan, so there was Greg Lazinski, the Bull, when the he bull? came to the South Side. Ron I remember Schittle, him. Uh, the recently deceased Lamar Hoyt. I love watching him and Richard Dotson pitch. Uh, favorite White Sox player of all time is the big hurt, Frank Thomas. Big, big influence in my life. Then there's this cat named Michael Jordan. Who I think I've heard of him. Over the entire, who took over the entire city of Chicago when he arrived in 1984. So those are uh, only a few of my, uh, my my sports influences. Walter Payton being an, Walter Payton from the uh, Chicago Bears being another. So sports was a big influence for me growing up. Still is today. Now, did you play any sports? I tried out for baseball, but I did better in the booth 
and uh, on the sideline scoring it that I did trying to play it. So were you involved as like a, as a manager in high school, you know, keeping stats and helping with the equipment and stuff? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Um, and, and you went through the public school system there in Chicago? I did. Okay. Now, at some point that you, you did, I know you've lived in a couple different places. You've been in North Carolina, Indiana, Ohio, uh, Dayton, Ohio. Um, did yes. you do all of your growing up through high school in Chicago, though? Yes, I did. Okay. Now, um, did you go, and you went to uh, Chicago State University. Was that pretty much right after high school, or did you take a break? I spent one year at uh, Northeast Missouri State University, and then when I got to Chicago State, tried another year of computer science and found out that wasn't that wasn't working for me. So in 1992, I switched majors and found my love in uh, sportscasting. Now, did you ever, uh, when you were in school, when you're in your younger days, did you uh, have any interest in broadcasting? Or well, you know what? Let me let me take you back because I think all sports fans. Um, uh, I was just watching an old clip of my the now Washington football team, a black and white television in my my kitchen where I grew up. It was the 1982 NFC Championship game against the Cowboys. Danny White had been knocked out, and Gary Hogerboom yep. threw a pass from I guess his own 15 or 20. It was tipped by Daryl uh, Dexter Manley, my favorite player of all time. And it was tipped into the hands of Daryl Grant, who ran in for a touch. And I just saw that clip. And one of the things that that you've noticed first, and Pete, at my, my age, you're going to recognize this, there is no better broadcast team than Pat Summerall and John Madden. Pat Summerall and John Madden. Did you have broadcast teams, be it local or national, that had an influence on you or, or kind of got you interested in, in broadcasting? Jim Durham and Johnny Kerr were the voices of the Bulls for many, many years. I was so sad to see them split up in 1991 when uh, Jim Durham was let go. But, yeah, Jim Durham and Johnny Kerr got me started. Later on, it was Wayne Larrabee, uh, Voice of the Bears. And then after that, it was uh, John Rooney and uh, Ed Farmer, who were the voices of the White Sox for many years. Okay. Um, Now, you you and I spoke before, and and you kind of told me that story. You're at Chicago State University, and it was kind of by chance or luck or some combination of both that you ended up um, doing some broadcasting for their basketball games? Well, this is all off of an idea. I was, uh, 1995, I was hanging out at the, uh, at, in the theater department in the library, and my friend Kevin had checked out a camera to use because he was going to take some footage of Chicago City who was playing in Northern Illinois that night. And I said, can you attach a microphone to that? And he said, sure, what do you have in mind? So uh, he checked out a microphone. We went to the gym, and, uh, well... Up on the deck, up on the uh, track, rather, in the old Jacoby Dickens Center, we set up shop, and using only a roster that I was handed at the last minute, that was my first game. That was my first play-by-play call. And did your did your friend uh, participate with you? Did he come? Did he uh, did he concentrate on on holding the camera? Um, he did both. He participated with me. Uh, he was my uh, partner for that night, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Next thing I knew, I wanted to do it for a living. And, you know, uh, the interesting thing about uh, college basketball, I can tell you, um, you know, I remember as a kid watching, you know, growing up in the Washington, D.C. or in the 80s, uh, kind of knew but didn't really know that there was basketball other than the Big East and the ACC. I mean, we had uh, we had Georgetown, we had Maryland. I grew up on Patrick Ewing and Len Bias. Okay, so in any case, um, I don't actually remember who used to call the basketball games. I remember Johnny Holiday used to call the Maryland football games. But in any case, college basketball, uh, I know here in Las Cruces at NMS, you, you know, Jack Nixon's been uh, calling the football and basketball games all by himself for about 40 
years. You kind of have to play yeah. double duty when you're doing that, right? I mean, you're 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 doing the play by totally. play and the color as well. Yep, I've done uh, double duty for many many years. Um, I'm one of the few that hasn't had a uh, a consistent partner, but at the same time, I love it. I love the challenge. I absolutely love the challenge. Now, did you have to think about it consciously when you were doing calling that first game, or was it you just kind of something you went with and figured it out as you went along? Figured it out as I went along. I've heard many a broadcast with uh, Jim Durham and Johnny Kerr, as I said, and I just merged both roles. Um, after my friend Kevin had joined me that first night, since then I was a solo act, and I just thought of both roles and merged them into one. And so you ended up changing majors, right? Yes, sir. Tell me about, was it in broadcasting or broadcast journalism, TV? What was it? It was uh, speech and theater to start, but then they made it specific into into broadcasting when uh, when I got there. Okay. So uh, did you did were you able did you end up graduating from, from Chicago State University, or did you do any transferring or anything? I didn't graduate from there. I just got um, a ton of practice, and then I... Uh, started my own company with a friend of mine and we started calling high school games and that's how I got my practice on my craft. And was that there in the Chicagoland area? Yes, it was. And how do you how do you market yourself like that? If you're a young person starting your own company, do you do you approach the school district? Do you do you approach individual schools? I mean, how does that work? Individual schools is how I've always attacked because trying to go through the Chicago public schools was not a, was was not a good time at all. I we literally fought with them and tried to show them what kind of service we were providing for the better part of four years. So after they kept turning us down, turning us down, turning us down, I said, "The heck with it. We'll go with the individual schools. See what happens." And how do you uh, end up? I mean, I don't, I don't know. How does an individual find his his uh, frequency? How do you, how do you decide what 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 station is going to air you? Is it a line of sight thing, or um, I mean, how does that all work? Well, we got lucky because we were doing a lot of tape delay broadcasts, and we would put them on the station at Chicago State for radio and television. And we were, do, we were doing that up until 1998 when we got welcomed by the Chicago Catholic League. And by that time, we were getting better equipment. And we also had a chance to air a couple of games live. But we still wanted more. So it took a lot of patience and a lot of chance taking. But by 2005, we got back in with the station, and we were airing games live on the Chicago State uh, University radio station. Now, you said you went into business with a friend. Was your friend also a, a broadcast partner, or was he just a business partner? He was a broadcast partner. And you're calling what sports? At Chicago State, we called basketball, volleyball, and uh, baseball. In the Chicago Public League, we, we did uh, football, basketball, uh, baseball, and softball. Okay, now uh, because of the history, I'm sure you've heard the name Lou Henson before. Um, he was a I have took took the Aggies, New Mexico State Aggies, to the Final Four in 1972. Then went on to Illinois, and then came back here. Actually, right at the same time, I moved to Las Cruces in 1999. Um, 
he mm-hmm. had because of the time he spent in Illinois, he he built himself up a nice uh, bit of connections there in in Illinois and Chicago. I know that Chicago yep. is one of the big big five hotbeds of college uh, of high school basketball talent and very very fertile recruiting uh, you know recruiting area uh, for colleges all over the country. Tell me about some of the players whose whose names you got to say and who, whose whose uh, stats you got to give out while you watch them uh, playing in Chicago. Who who we might know. First player that uh, I had a chance to announce for was a fellow by the name of Quentin Richardson, who played at uh, Whitney Young in 1998. At the same time, there was a fellow at Fenwick uh, by the name of Corey McGetty. We saw those two play against each other at the uh, City Suburban Showdown and followed Quentin Richardson all the way to the uh, state championship with Whitney Young in, uh, in 1998. And then, nine years after that, I'm back at Whitney Young, and there was a fellow by the name of Marcus Jordan who transferred there from Loyola. Turns out, Marcus Jordan was Michael Jordan's baby boy. Ah. And I had a chance to see him play, and I had a chance to meet the man himself. What was that like? Are you starstruck? Are you able to hold it together? I mean... No... I mean, yes, for the starstruck, no, I could not hold it together when he shook my hand and said, nice job on the public address. And I went back to my seat, and my partner looked at me, and he said, uh, you're not calling the third quarter, are you? I said, nope. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least, I mean, you were able to admit that. I think it's a, you're a pretty humble guy for, for being able to do that. Did you ever, were you broadcasting at the, any of the same time that Tim Hardaway was, was playing uh, high school basketball in Chicago? No, I was not. Uh, Tim Hardaway had uh, moved on before um, I got my feet wet in broadcasting. Okay, and you know the reason I, I actually just thought of that. Uh, one of my one of my friends uh, and actually a guest I had, uh, probably my third or fourth guest on the show in the first season, uh, is a guy named by the name of Russ Bradbird, who actually is from Chicagoland area. Coached basketball at UTEP uh, and then started a scouting service a little bit later in Chicago, then came here to New Mexico State before he decided he wanted to change careers after coaching for Don Haskins and Lou Henson, wanted to be an English professor. He actually he recruited Tim Hardaway to uh, UTEP and kind of got his, his name as a recruiter by doing that. I just It just kind of occurred to me uh, when you and I were talking right here. Now, it looks like things are on the up and up for you. I mean, you start your own company, you're getting some some high school and college uh, athletics going you know it it just occurs to me you you mentioned calling volleyball i i know maybe yes. one or two volleyball terms how do you did you know anything about volleyball before you start calling those games are you learning on the fly I mean, how does that work i learned volleyball on the fly okay i learned i've learned volleyball on the fly from the fellow who called uh, volleyball matches at northwestern university because the first time i did volleyball was 2001 and um uh, I had to learn a lot of terms quick because the night before Chicago State participated in a weekend tournament at Northwestern, I just actually, it wasn't the fellow who was the voice of Northwestern, it was the fellow who was the voice of uh, Florida, Florida Gators. And I said, my first match is tomorrow. Can you give me some terms to use? Well, he gave me about four or five terms to use, and he said, those are the words you're going to repeat often. He was right. And you got used to it from there. Now, it looks like things are, you know, very much on the up, you know, on the upswing. Things are getting better for you, but I know that you've had some challenges. 
What's the kind of first big, the big first big stumbling block in your adult life that kind of knocked you off your feet and made you have to find, you your, find your way back? I'll give you two. One, one, finding sponsors that actually will believe in my product, which is a quality product, and a lot of people don't think so. And two, in 2016, when I was covering Marquette Catholic High School in Michigan City, Indiana, I had a fellow basically spread a lie about me uh, to the IHSAA, which cost me the remainder of that tournament. And since then, I fell down, and I've been trying to to uh, get back up. Even though every student, every parent um, defended me and said I did not, I, I said and said, you know, Brian didn't have any wrongdoings. You know, they didn't. They they didn't care. I got uh, suspended and was never was never allowed back. Well, you know, unfortunately, Brian, and, and I won't go into it, you know, in, uh, won't go into it uh, in any kind of detail, just as you didn't go into detail, and we won't ask you if you don't want to talk about it. I, too, uh, as a matter of fact, right around, right around that same time, kind of dealt with a situation where somebody had it out for me and, and um, made my life miserable with some untruths and had to fight my way back, too. Now, um, at some mm-hmm. point, you got your broadcasting career uh, back on track, and where did that happen? Yep. Um was doing good when I was in North Carolina, but then dealt with some more shady folks, and then COVID hit. And since COVID, um, except for a partial baseball season at Lewisburg College in Lewisburg, North Carolina, uh, really haven't been able to bounce back yet. So at the suggestion of my wife, I've put all of my efforts into my show and have just gone from there. Well, you know, Brian, it, you we've we've kind of established who you are and what you do for a living, and, and where you get that passion and how you've developed it. Um, but one of the things we we you know are interested in is is how you've kind of overcome some of the difficult things. Now, you and I spoke, and and one thing I actually didn't know until we spoke was that you actually suffered uh, some years ago a very great loss. Uh, can you tell us a little about what that was about and give us some of the backstory about the loved one uh, who who was taken from you way too soon? Um. That would be my daughter, Donna. Okay. Uh, she was born March 6, 2013, and the young lady who bore her at the time, she and I had planned to get married, but her family intervened and cut all that, and, and cut all that off and basically forced me to give her up for adoption. And I had no help at the time to uh, fight this, and I was forced to move from Indy uh, back home to Chicago. And then two years after that, uh, she passed away because she had a breathing issue when she was born. And uh, that's hurt me every day since she she passed away. And during those two years, did you have opportunity to to interact with her? Did you know her? I mean, were you able to to be in, in any way, shape, or form a parent to her? No, I only saw her once, and that was for her her one year old birthday party, right. where she did recognize me. Oh wow! But uh, yeah, every other time after that, when every other time after that, I would get a a, a chance, and the, the family would intervene again. And my own mother didn't even acknowledge the fact that uh, I had a child. 
my mother said to me, quote, are you going to be there for her? I didn't get a congratulations, nothing. And to say that's fuel would be an understatement. And that's kind of difficult, obviously, to hear from your mother. I mean, did you have, did you guys have the best relationship before that? Was this a, kind of a shock to you that she would take this tone? or It wasn't the woman that I was with. It was her family that erected a shield. She was not allowed to interact with me. Liz was not allowed to interact with me. And I had thought at the time, you know, I guess this, I guess this is it. And I was going to actually uh, commit suicide. But then Liz got in my ear and said, if you give up, I give up. And that's basically the same message my wife gave to me um, after I got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She said, if you give up, I give up. So I've had fight after fight after fight. And you're still uh, here. I'm still here. You're still fighting. I mean, the the Washington Nationals said it best, stay in the fight. Stay in the fight, and you're still fighting. Now, you ended up at some point, you ended up in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. How did that all happen? Now, now, can you tie that into how you met your wife? Uh, 2017, went and lived with a young lady in Dayton, Ohio, and then that fell apart. I was still working, but I was living in a homeless shelter, and by June, I was so out of whack emotionally that I cried in a Panera Bread and had a friend wire me some money, and I got the hell out of there. Now, now let's. And, how do you, uh, Brian, how do you end up homeless in Dayton, Ohio? Well, the lady I was with told me to leave. Well, actually, I got blamed for not being communicative. I got blamed for not being myself. I got blamed because I got diagnosed with depression and I didn't have anything to help me with it. So I got tired of, I got tired of being blamed. And I said, you know what? The hell with this. I'm out of here. And I left. And you, uh, did you not have the, the means to get back home, get to Chicago? Or, I mean, was it a choice to stay in Dayton? How did that all happen? And you, I think you said you were living in some sort of hotel or something or a, a shelter of sorts? I, I, I worked for a while in Dayton, but it, the shift that I had didn't allow me to get back to the shelter until 1 a.m. in the morning, and they woke us up at 5 to get the day started. I just got worn down. I got seriously worn down, and I left. I, took, I got my final paycheck, and I left. I went back home. I had a chance to get some inner peace back when I uh, did some high school baseball. And after that, I was living at the uh, Salvation Army in Michigan City. Which is Michigan City as well. Uh, Michigan City, Indiana. Okay. And about that time, day after my birthday, online is where I met Jody. And I, I can't find the words to say, thank, to say thanks to her, but I tried to do it every day. Jody saved my life because I was going to give up. I seriously was going to give up. We talked online for a good couple of months. 
And when I called her, I was uh, doing a football game. I decided to call her and let her hear me in my element. I wanted to do something different. And when I heard her laugh, I knew I was a goner. I was completely done after that. I had a big smile on my face. And since that day, she and I have been inseparable. That's a good feeling, isn't it? It's a wonderful feeling. Now, there was uh, there was something that happened in a Starbucks. Did that was that with the the wife that you're with? Um incident in 2017 at Starbucks before I went to to Dayton, Ohio, a former friend said to me and I was heavily I was I was physically worn out, I was emotionally worn out, and a former friend said to me, "I know you've hit rock bottom." And I snapped. I verbally went off, and had I not done that and not wound up in the uh, mental ward at Michigan City Hospital, I don't know what would have happened to me th- at that time. Now, was, Those this a, were, was this an involuntary commitment, or did you check yourself in? Check myself in. Okay. And, you know, obviously you're here talking to me today, so that was a success. Uh, at least to some yeah. degree, were you able to get, if you don't mind sharing, were you able to get a diagnosis or to get some, some medication to help you feel, you know, get your, get yourself straight and get yourself feeling better? Yes. Yes. Okay. It was, I, I didn't realize that was, that was the first time I had actually been diagnosed with depression. Okay. That 2017 was the first time I had actually been, di- been clinically diagnosed with depression. And, uh, I'm glad, I, I'm glad that happened. Right. I'm absolutely glad that happened. Now, when did when did Snowman in the Morning get started? Snowman in the Morning started in 2013. Okay. And it was actually an afternoon show to start with. And uh, I didn't want to I didn't want to do afternoons. I wanted to do mornings because for some reason I was a big fan of Mike and Mike in the Morning at the time, and I said I can create a show like that. So, October 1st, 2013, I plugged in my computer, plugged in my microphone, and created an opening, and that was that. Off to the races we went. And that was, you, you started that, uh, the, the same YouTube channel you're on now, right? Actually, this is the third version thereof. Okay. The first one, the, the, the first one just wouldn't grow for some reason. The second one, it was growing, but then it stalled. And then I had people writing horrible messages to me on that channel. So I said, the hell with it. I'm going to try again. And this is the third version. And this has been, this third version has been in existence how long? About a month and a half. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was, it was this new. Now, is there a, do you follow a, a, a format? Do you have certain segments that appear at the same time every day? Or, um, or I would imagine you're during football season, you're covering more football and, uh, and, and kind yeah. of keeping it seasonal like that. How does your show work? It's, it stays seasonal. Uh, try to work everything into two hours. Um, we take the head, we got the headlines, the main stories, then the, the seasonal stuff, football, um, and we just keep with the we keep with the format with uh, football, basketball, and now hockey all merged in and going at the same time. We try to keep everything together and uh, stick to the main stuff. Hey, you know, it's funny you mentioned listening to Mike and Mike in the morning, which which I did for years. I actually used to get off work at four in the morning here, you know, Mountain Time, 
uh, which is right about, you know, the time they'd come on, uh, on on the East Coast. And it's been awfully weird. You know, Mike and Mike ended, and then it was Golik and Wingo for a while. To me, it's awfully odd not hearing Mike Golik talk about football in the morning time uh, during football yeah. season. I just kind of had to add yeah. that in. Now, as if, as if COVID uh, was not difficult enough, you mentioned a few minutes ago a diagnosis uh, that was fairly recent. Uh, take us take us back to that and how you got there. June 5th of this year, I had uh, gotten up in the morning, and I went to the bathroom, and I came out, and all of a sudden, I passed out. And I was disoriented. I couldn't breathe. And uh, I just kept screaming, help. And uh, my daughter and my wife came running, and kudos to my daughter, Sonia. She took the phone from my wife and described what was going on, and uh, the next thing I knew, I recognized Jody, I recognized Sonia, uh, my dog was next to me, and the, uh, um, the emergency team came in the house, and I was transported to uh, Mariah Parham Hospital in Henderson, North Carolina, which is where we were living at the time. And uh, I was uh, examined. They did x-rays. And the next thing I find out that both my lungs had blood clots in them. So I was airlifted from Henderson to Durham to Duke University Hospital for an emergency procedure where they got all of the clot, they got most of the clots out of me and a blood thinner has done the rest of the work. But then I was informed I had a mass on the left side of my abdomen. A month later, uh, after a biopsy, uh, July 19th is when I was officially diagnosed with stage three pancreatic cancer. And you know when people hear pancreatic cancer, that that's not a good. That's not. It's something that doesn't get discovered until something else goes wrong. And and were you were they able to explain to you what it was that caused the episode that you had? Was it the blood clots? Was it the the pancreatic cancer? Or were the blood clots caused by the pancreatic cancer? Do we know that? No, we don't, because I still don't know how how everything happened to this point. And uh, my wife has been asking more of the questions than I because I've just been trying to deal with the diagnosis and see what happens and, and get to what happens next. Right. Now, did you have surgery to remove the cancer? And I know you mentioned to me you're being treated with, uh, you're taking chemotherapy pills, right? Yeah, doing chemo pills right now. Uh, just had our first update, and it was inconclusive. So I awaited, I am awaiting a, result, uh, a response from my doctor to see what the next step would be and it's probably going to be another three months of uh, chemo pills and uh, me making sure I follow everything to the letter with the rest of my meds. And probably this spring is when the surgery will happen. Okay, so there is a, there are plans to, to, to remove whatever it is that's growing in, on the pancreas, the cancer. Yes. Okay, so they're, I, the, the chemo, are they trying to stop, to stop it from growing right now? Is that what that is? They're trying to shrink the mass. Okay. And then when it's small enough, then they will go in and do the surgery. Now, uh, you know, getting a diagnosis of any type of cancer, um, not the least of which, you know, pancreatic cancer, has got to be something that's very difficult. Um, but dealing with your depression, 
at that time, where were you uh, with your depression and your overall mental health and happiness? I wasn't happy because I thought I was going to lose my family. Because of and the, I still have my days. Right. Because I mean, of cancer. But, but before before the diagnosis, how were you? Where were you? Oh, I was I was doing good. I was on my way back. I was working at the speedway, and then we got the sucker punch. The sucker punch being the diagnosis. The the diagnosis. And, you know, uh, you're lucky. I didn't know that you know. How old is this daughter, Sonia? Uh, so my stepdaughter, Sonia, is 20, 28. Okay. So you've got your stepdaughter. You've got your wife. Um, sounds to me like you've got a good support network. Um, is there mm -hmm. something, you know, I, I've talked to people before. Does, does the hospital or do your doctors offer you, I would imagine there's some sort of counseling uh, or therapy that goes along with a diagnosis like that to help people cope uh, and, and kind of deal with the day-to-day -day, the day-to-day -day challenges of dealing with taking uh, chemotherapy. Well, in all in all honesty, it was there, but it was never offered. My wife has been my counsel, right. and my show has been my therapy. And you know that's something that uh, I think you got to feel pretty lucky that not only are you able to make a living doing something that that you really love. Um, but having it there and now that it's third incarnation uh, right after getting this horrible news, uh, I would imagine, you know, it, it going on the air and doing your show and talking about sports has got to be therapeutic. It is therapeutic, very much so. I look forward to doing the show every day because for those 120 minutes, I can lock in. I can talk about sports with my radio partner, Cole Johnson. The guests that come on have been fantastic in showing their support. Um, I can uh, plug my fundraiser that I have going on, my shop where I use any proceeds from that to help out in taking the pressure off of my wife and family. And it just gives me, it gives me an outlet. For those two hours, it gives me an outlet. And, you know, Brian, I, I can't pre even pretend to, to say that I've dealt with any kind of the, the serious threats to my health uh, uh, that you're dealing with. But what I do know is having something that you love being therapeutic. And for me, uh, I you know, I've been watching watch boxing my whole life. Uh, I started watching uh, the UFC in 1994, uh, never really looked back, finally got an opportunity uh, about four years ago to start training at the local Gracie Baja Las Cruces, uh, New Mexico Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school. And when I started doing that, I was going through that time I was telling you about back in 2016 where I was dealing with people that were after me. And I can remember times walking onto the mat where I was just about crippled with anxiety and walking off an hour later feeling completely relieved, um, feeling the kind of peace and happiness that my, one might expect from from um, you know substances, plants that grow in the ground that you get to smoke you know, in some exactly. states now. Um, so I do understand how doing something you love uh, can be therapeutic. Now, do you do you able to have guests on your show? Yes, all the time. That's that awesome. is part of what makes that is what part of makes the show go. Yeah. That is why so much it, it's so much fun for me. Okay, so I was talking to my wife uh, not too long ago, who's not a sports fan at all, and I was trying to explain. We were watching baseball. Um, you know what? We were watching the new Wonder Years, actually, um, which which is based kind of on the same model as the original, but it's about an African-American family. And the dad was the kid's baseball coach. 
And, you know, I mentioned to her that, you know, in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, you saw a lot more African-Americans playing baseball and in the the major leagues. But over the last 30, 35 years, that's really kind of waned. Uh, Popularity of of baseball among the African-American community has kind of gone by the wayside. Now, we try not to get too heavy on social and definitely not political issues here on the show. But I, I did find I did want to take the opportunity because you have a unique, probably unique perspective. You're a black man um, about my age, and you're a baseball fan. Oh, that's easy. Basketball and football took care of that. Early <laughs> entrance, early entrance into the uh, draft lottery, having a chance to um, make a di- make a quick difference. Come on, that's 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 too easy. A lot of these kids think they're basketball stars, and they only go to college for one year. Or two years if you uh, talk football, and then they think they're just—they think they're just hot stuff—and then they realize they didn't put enough work in. Big problem. They don't put enough work in, and you see the—you you, take a look at the NBA and you see the results. And you don't think it has anything to do with the pace of the game? And uh, you know what I noticed is this kind of happened right around the same time. Hip hop culture got big and got, you know, the, the NBA was genius and they married the NBA and their marketing with hip hop culture in the late eighties, early nineties. And I don't know if baseball, you know, kind of failed to do that. It's not as fast moving a game, uh, maybe not as compatible with that, that type of entertainment. I don't know. That's just some thoughts that I had, but I was interested to hear what you, what you had to say about that. Well, they, they can market the baseball, they can market baseball to young kids. You just have to find them. Everybody, all the young kids now want to play basketball and football because of the instant gratification. I can tell you, I know a lot of black folks like myself that love baseball and grew up watching baseball. And baseball, as my partner Cole Johnson said on the show, has the longest money. But they don't think that. But a lot of these kids today, black, white, or whatever, don't think that way. They don't think about where the longest money is where you can stay in tow. It's, it's, it's baseball. That's, that's interesting. That's an interesting, uh, interesting perspective. Now, before we go, you mentioned something about a charity uh, or a fundraising that you're doing? I have a fundraiser that uh, uh, is on Facebook. You can, uh, uh, if y'all, if your, your folks look up uh, B-Snow Multimedia, um, I have a fundraiser that's going around, and the hashtag you use is Snow Strong. And uh, my goal is to raise $5,000 and have that carry my family and me through part of the new year. And to keep it going, what I also have is a shop on uh, snowmaninthemorning.com where people can purchase things. I'm, I'm dropping products every day where the, uh, money raised, the money raised from that will go to household bills. It will go to, like I said, taking the pressure off of my wife in terms of, you know, taking care, uh, taking care of the bills, taking care of the doctor's visit and, and everything. So since I cannot work right now, Officially, I'm trying to use different methods to uh, get some get some money raised, like so keep fighting this pancreatic cancer, and just uh, keep things going and take some of the stress off of my wife. There you go, snowmaninthemorning.com, and I'm sure you can probably follow a link to your show, but you can also go to YouTube and look for Snowman in the Morning or Brian Snow, 
and and you can find it there also. Your social media presence. You want to give out some Facebook and Instagram or handles or Twitter, whatever else you use. Official S I T M O R N is uh, official S I T M O R N is the official handle of the show. Uh, B Snow Multimedia on all social media is my handle, and uh, the best part it's it's easily it's easily accessible. And uh, if you want to be a monthly donor to the show, patreon.com slash SIT morning is the site you need. We have spent the last 40, 45 minutes talking to Brian Snow, a survivor, a fighter, uh, and a morning show radio host uh, that I think we can all enjoy. I've checked out some of your YouTube uh, channel posts. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us, joining me with Mr. Snow. And uh, I hope you'll join us again next week or the week after uh, when another another episode of the Square Peg Podcast with Mold Breakers, Trailblazers, and Takers of Roads Less Traveled will be available on Apple, Spotify, and Pandora, as well as LasCrucesToday.com. Brian Snow, thank you for being with me. We will see you. Hey, if you are having a wedding uh, and you need a photographer or videographer, if you are a local artist in the southern New Mexico or West Texas area, and you uh, need a video, a music video made, uh, a real good place to go is my, my friend Isaac Powell Fox's business, Palomore Productions. Uh, they're located pretty close to Las Cruces downtown. And uh, you can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram and all those different places. Uh, you can also get them at uh, www.palomora.com for all your weddings, music videos, and anything else you need, a professional videographer or photographer. The Square Peg Podcast. Proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo Mike Communications.